Well, welcome everybody. It's good to see you guys this weekend and uh, welcome everybody watching online. Uh, and thanks for joining us online, guys. Thanks for sitting down at home or at Fuel or with your phone somewhere and uh, being connected to your church family. I'm grateful that you, you take the time to do that. And let me say one thing before I get into uh, what we're gonna talk about tonight and that's about Discovery Group. And so Discovery Group's coming up in a week or so. And encourage you guys, if you have not done that yet, uh, Discovery, if you feel disconnected or feel like you're feeling your way around grace a little bit, and that could be because you just started uh, hanging out here, or it could be because you've been hanging out here for a while and you need to make those connections. Uh, Discovery Group is the next best step for you. And so uh, we offer it in two platforms. We offer it in person, and so you can sign up for that, and we also offer it online. And so we have online groups as well. And so if you've been joining us primarily online, uh, that online option may be a great time and great connection for you. And uh, if you want to connect in person, of course, you can do that as well. But I promise you it's very, very valuable and really, really encourage you guys to do that if you haven't done it yet. Okay, so uh, hit the app, hit the website and uh, sign up for that right away. Okay. All right, last few weeks we've been in a series called Resolved, and uh, we've been talking about this idea that if you basically want to accomplish anything in life, you have to resolve to do that, right? So if you've seen somebody excel in athletics or business or school or have a long-term marriage, uh, you know, somebody's been married 25 years or something like that, somewhere around there, they said, you know what, we're doing this. No matter what, uh, we're giving ourselves to this and we're going to go for it. And it's the nature of kind of moving forward in life. And we've said the same thing uh, plays out spiritually. That if I want to grow in my relationship with God, if I want to be who God has called me to be, if I want my life to be defined and directed by Christ, I'm going to have to decide that that's what's going to happen. That regardless of how I feel, regardless of circumstances, regardless of a million things that come at us, that I'm going to resolve that I'm going to give myself to the Lord and follow his calling and his leading on my life. And we've been talking about this for the last few weeks, and we've been digging at that, and we said that's a really, really important thing because of who I am as a Christ follower. The Bible says that if you are a Christ follower, you have been called out from amongst what the Bible calls the world. We often call it the culture. So I've been called out and now I belong to God. The Bible says I'm his special possession. I'm a holy people, a royal priesthood, uh, a people belonging to God and my citizenship is now in heaven, it's not tied up in the earthly identities that I have. And because of that, I need to view myself a certain way. And Peter says it this way, First Peter 2, says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from the sinful desires which wage war against your soul. And Peter says, hey, Christ follower, remember who you are. You're a foreigner, you're an exile, you are a citizen of heaven that is here on earth to be salt and light, to proclaim the hope and the truth and the love of Jesus, to be an ambassador of Christ. 
but you're not going to fit in here. You have to see yourself as a foreigner, see yourself as an exile, because the things around you, what the Bible calls the world, what I often call the culture, the thoughts, the values, the morals, those things wage war against your soul. So you have to recognize that and understand that where I am is not what defines me. So we've said what that means then as a Christ follower is that we live in a tension and we live in the tension that although I am here in the, on earth, the earth doesn't define me. As a Christ follower, I'm not defined by the culture that I live in, but I do serve those who are defined by it. I, am, I do not find my value in the culture that I live in, but I do love those who do find their value in the culture, and I am not to allow the culture to have authority over me, but I do honor those who have authority within the culture. And we've been looking at a f- uh, four guys. We know them best as Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these four guys find themselves in this situation. They are born and raised in the Old Testament in Jerusalem. And in the Old Testament, Jerusalem was the place where the heart and the mind and the presence and the culture of God was kind of expressed. Jerusalem is given over to a nation called Babylon. And in the Old Testament, Babylon was a real kingdom, but it was a godless kingdom or a pagan kingdom. It was anti everything that Jerusalem stood for and it waged war against these guys' souls. They were literally put through a three-year re-education process, but the Bible says that in the middle of that process that they resolved themselves. They resolved that they would not defile themselves and they would not forget that their identity is in Jerusalem, that they are followers of the one true God, And even though that they were given over to this other culture, they would exist in it, they would serve people in it, they would love people in it, but they would not be defined by it. And we've talked about how in the Bible, Jerusalem is a a real place, a literal place. Babylon was a real place and a literal place. But the Bible also uses those two cities metaphorically. And the Bible would talk about Jerusalem as the place that is close to God's heart, where his heart and his mind is expressed. And the Bible, especially at the end of the Bible and Revelation, would talk about Babylon being the opposite of that, where it's a place where the heart of the evil one or everything that is anti-God is expressed. And so we said that there are people of Jerusalem, metaphorically, there are people of Babylon, there are patterns of Jerusalem, there are patterns of Babylon, the people of God are defined as the kind of the people of Jerusalem, the chosen ones by God, and we are not defined by the patterns, the thinking, and the value of Babylon. Okay, so lots of conversations, lots of in-depth there on the app, on the website, on the podcast. Go and catch up on those if you kind of want to push this whole story together. It's a fascinating one, but that's what we've been talking about here the last few weeks. This weekend, I want to take us forward in the book of Daniel. That's what we've been kind of walking through. So we want to go to Daniel chapter three this week. And uh, this is on the app if you're using your phone or uh, an iPad or something like that. But if you want to use the Bibles in the chairs, if you're live here in the room, it's page 721 
in uh, those Bibles in the chairs. And what I want to do this week is I want to show you, we're going to look at three of the four guys. We're going to look specifically at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego here this weekend. I want to see how they resolved that the patterns of Babylon would not define and direct them because they knew that they were children of the one true God. So very fascinating story. I want to walk us through it. What I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of read through the highlights to tell you the story in Daniel chapter three. You may want to read all the details on your own, but I'll read through it kind of in a condensed way and it'll allow us to frame up what's happening. So King Nebuchadnezzar is the king who rules Babylon, verse one, chapter three, he made a gold statue 90 feet tall and nine feet wide. And then he sent messages to all of his providential officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all these officials came, stood before the statue that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. The herald shouted, people of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the musical instruments, bow down to the ground, worship King Nebuchadnezzar's golden statue, and anyone who refuses will be immediately thrown into a blazing furnace, a construction furnace that was set up to craft this statue that was made mostly of gold. You don't bow down when the music plays, you're going in there. The music starts, everybody bows down except these three guys, verse eight. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews, verse 11. They said, hey king, that decree that states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace, but you need to know that there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that the boys be brought before him. And when they were brought in, he said to them, is it true that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the golden statue I set up? I'm gonna give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I made, but if you refuse, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, uh, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God who we serve is able to save us and he will rescue us from your power. But even if he doesn't, we wanna make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. Verse 19, Nebuchadnezzar was furious. He was so mad that his face became distorted with rage and he commanded that the furnace be heated. And then he ordered some of the strongest men of the army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up threw them into the furnace, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fell into the flames. Verse 24, but suddenly Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, he shouted, I see four men unbound, walking in the fire, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out 
come here. So the boys stepped out of the fire. Then the high officials crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their head was singed. Their clothes were not scorched. They didn't even smell like smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any God except their own. Incredible story, fascinating story, supernatural story. God did a miracle. And I want us to see what led up to this story I want us to see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's resolve and then maybe talk a little bit about how that plays out with us today. So let's make some observations about this. Some observations that kind of will start on a big picture. Some observations about the culture of Babylon and then we'll talk about how that shows up in our lives, okay? So here's the first thing I want us to observe or that I noticed was this, that when you think about resolve, you think about being a foreigner in a foreign land, that resolve means that you're gonna encounter that culture one way or another. For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as children of Jerusalem, they encountered the Babylonian culture. And this is what I want you to see, that the Babylon, the Babylonian culture will always demand conformity. Babylon, godless culture, will always demand conformity. It's the nature of it. Look back at Daniel chapter three. Then the herald shouted, people of all races and nations and language, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the musical instruments, you bow down and you worship. Anybody who refuses will immediately be thrown into the fiery furnace. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, out of the ground and worship the, the gold statue that the King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. King Nebuchadnezzar looked at the people as the king of Babylon and said, listen, you will worship, you will think, you will act, you will say, you will do what I command you to do. And if you don't, you will be canceled. You will go into that furnace and that will be the end of you. His other threat, his favorite threat was your houses will be torn down into rubble and you will be torn limb from limb. That was his favorite one, right? You are going to get it if you do not conform to me. He sent out word to all of Babylon, every area that he ruled, every nation, race, people, ethnic group, culture, you will come and you will unify and you will conform to what I told you to conform. If you are not like us, if you do not agree with us, then you by nature are against us and you will be canceled. You will conform. It's fascinating when you, when you get into this a little bit because most scholars agree that the statue was one of two things, right? So the Bible doesn't say what the statue was. The Bible says it was the statue Nebuchadnezzar created. So most scholars would look and say the statue was one of two things. The statue was either a statue that represented nationalism. 
It was a national symbol. So in North America, that would probably be like our eagle or like the Statue of Liberty, right? That when you saw it, you thought of the nation of Babylon. So they said that scholars say that the statue was either one of nationalism where you were being forced to worship the kingdom or the state. The other thing that most scholars believe that the statue could possibly be is a statue that represented pluralism of deities. So many, many gods, right? So if you thought of a, of a Hindu statue, the Hindu faith believes in a plurality of gods, many, many gods, and they would have statues that would represent many, many gods. So the chances are, we don't know for sure, but the chances are that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego either walked in and saw something that represented the power and the deity of the Babylonian nation or it represented a cacophony of different gods. Now, let's think about this for a minute. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in the class in Babylon, we know from last week and then again this week, of rulership. So they are beckoned with the officials, they're beckoned with the, the rulers of the providence as they come in. What that means in part is that they were in the know. It's probable that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego watched this statue being built. This didn't go up on the weekend. This wasn't a surprise. The furnace was there, they're, they're smelting the gold and the lead and the, everything that's in it. They're, they're watching this happen, which means this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a long, long time to think about what they were gonna do when that music played. And somewhere along the line, they resolved if that statue was a statue that represent nationalism, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have talked about that. And they would have understood that. And the boys would have known that the kings always try to hijack the purposes of the one true God in order to coerce people into believing that the one true God and the king is synonymous. Guys, there is nothing new about that. That has happened through all of time. The Roman Caesars were thought of as deity. The Egyptian pharaohs were thought of as deity. It is nothing new that the state would want to blend nationalism with religion. And states that don't want to blend nationalism with religion just simply try to wipe out religion so that you only trust the state. They watched this happen. They talked about this happen. That is the normal, natural pattern of Babylon. And they, being in the system, they're royal officials, they knew full well that they were getting called to that statue. They knew full well what Nebuchadnezzar wanted from them and they knew full well that they were not going to bow down. They decided that before they ever walked on to that, gr that ground. See? Now this is fascinating. If it's nationalism, they knew and knew it was coming. 
if the other side of the scholars are right and it's pluralism, it's fascinating if it's pluralism, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego might have had an out. In Daniel chapter two, remember, if you remember Daniel chapter two, Daniel interpreted a dream for Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of that process of interpreting the dream, Nebuchadnezzar said, your God is a great God. Which means that the one true God was probably represented in the statue. Now Nebuchadnezzar knew what he was doing, just like a Hindu God, here's all of the gods of Babylon, let's worship them. He knew what he was doing and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have known he was doing that. And they had a long time to think about it because they watched that statue be built. They looked and said, oh, there's the symbolism for the one true God buried in the symbolism of the 99 other gods. And they would have had lots of time to think about it. You know, fellas, technically, we're worshiping our God. I mean, technically, if we just think about the one true God and not the other 99 gods, I think God would understand because of the furnace. It's fascinating. Somewhere in there, they resolved that not only would they not bow to a false God, but they would not bow to a distorted God. And they knew, this did not happen on a whim. They knew the day, they got the memo, they had to hike out to the plane where this was put up. They knew how the ceremony was gonna go. They knew what the request was and they had determined they were not going to bow. Why? Because they knew how Babylon worked. Babylon always demands conformity. They weren't shocked by that. It's the nature of Babylon. Dog gotta bark, right? Duck gotta quack. Cat gotta be evil. It's the nature of Babylon. And they knew this was gonna happen and they resolved themselves of how they were gonna respond to it. Now you take the nature of Babylon and contrast it to the nature of God or to the nature of, we would say, Christ. It's fascinating. Babylon always demands conformity. Christ calls for unity. It's a very different thing. Christ calls for unity. In fact, Jesus says in John 17, he says, part of how people will know that you're my people is that you will be unified like my father and I are unified. Babylon will call for conformity. Christ calls for unity. The church of Jesus Christ, believers, are not called to think alike. We are not called to agree on everything, especially cultural things. We're not called to line up with each other politically. We're not called to to line up with each other in what we do for our occupations. We're not called to line up for each other for how we dress and how we think. There is no call for that in scripture at all. The thing that we unify around is Christ. And where the church looks alike is our passion to know Christ and our passion to love the people that he loves. Now what that means in part is this, that the conformity of Babylon is never to break the unity of the church. 
the conformity of Babylon, the arguments of Babylon, whether it be nationalistic arguments or pluralistic arguments, they are not to break the unity of the church. Because we can be unified around Christ while disagreeing on issues of Babylon. See? And when the patterns of Babylon break the unity of Christ, the testimony of Christ is broken. Babylon does not infect the church. The church goes out and reaches Babylon. See? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood that. They, they understood that they were in a place that was, they were foreigners and aliens, and they understood that they were gonna have to be resolved. They, this was not somebody busted in the door and they had to make a quick decision. This was recognizing the culture they were in, not at all surprised by it, in deciding that the unity they had with the one true God, and we'll see here in a minute, the unity they had with each other, would supersede all of those Babylonian pressures. Here's the next thing I want you to see, ready? The boys viewed themselves as foreigners and exiles. Even though they're in the royal court, even though they would have dressed like Babylonians, they were educated like Babylonians, they viewed themselves as foreigners and exiles. When they didn't bow, they got ratted out. Look, Pharaoh, or look, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, look, there's some of those Jews over there, they won't bow down. They're brought before Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar looks at them and says, what are you guys doing? You better explain yourself to me. And it's fascinating what they did. When they're standing before the king, they didn't call their lawyer, they didn't put it out on Twitter, they didn't call for a protest, they didn't claim their rights. They looked at Nebuchadnezzar and they said this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. They understood that they were foreigners and exiles and Nebuchadnezzar could not understand why they were doing what they were doing. A few years ago, I was in Brazil and uh, trained some pastors and, and seeing, uh, Heidi and I have a lot of, Heidi's Brazilian, so we have a lot of family down in Brazil. So I, just, we're in, I was down in Brazil and, and connected with people. And one day we got up at uh, where we were staying and I went to get breakfast and I walked into this uh, restaurant that was like in this hotel thing where we were staying and I sat down to order breakfast and I was really hungry that morning for some reason. It had been minutes since I had eaten and so I was just starving to death. And so I sat down for breakfast and I was kind of a little bit grumpy, which I often am in the morning and I wanted some things. So I said, uh, I would like coffee. And the waitress did not speak any English. We were way up uh, close to the Amazon jungle. She didn't speak any English at all. I said, I'd like some coffee. And she just kind of looked at me. I was like, coffee, Zinho. And, you know, and why I wanted coffee, American coffee? Because for me, coffee is a lot like, I don't know, water or life or hope. Like, so it's just something that you need. And so I wanted like 
coffee, right? Like we would get coffee. Well, she brought me coffee. Like Brazilians would drink coffee, like an espresso is what we would call it. And so I was frustrated. I was like, I'll have like 10 more, <laughs> you know? And so trying to communicate. And then I wanted breakfast and I wanted an American breakfast. I'm like, do you have like some bacon, some eggs, some pancakes? Well, Brazilians for breakfast usually eat like some bread, some hot milk and maybe some fruit. And so I could not, I'm like, do you have no sugar to pour on anything or any grease to add? Like anything, right? Right? And so I had this very, very frustrating experience just trying to get breakfast. I went back to my hotel room. I'm very, very frustrated by what's going on. And this is what's going through my mind. Literally, I'm thinking this. What is wrong with that lady? She doesn't, don't they know how to serve breakfast in Brazil? We're, this is ridiculous. That's what I was thinking. I was frustrated that she could not understand me. Ready? Because I forgot I was the foreigner. I can't imagine what she went back to her room and said. We expect Babylon to understand the values, the teachings, the morals, the mission of Jerusalem, and they can't. The Apostle Paul, in the New Testament, he's addressing the church. He said, hey, I don't want any, uh, he, he's talking to the church. He said, I don't want any sexual immorality among you, greed, nothing like that. And there was a confusion in a local church. And they're like, yeah, that's the way the town is. And Paul says to them, he goes, I'm not talking about unbelievers. You can't, you can't get away from unbelievers who are sexually immoral, greedy, don't love God. He says, it, to get away from them, you'd have to leave this world. That's what Babylon is. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew what was gonna happen when the music played. And they knew they weren't gonna bow down. And they knew Nebuchadnezzar would have no idea why they did it. And they looked at him and said, you know what? We're not even going to argue with you. It's point, we're not even going to post about this. We're not going to blog about it. it, it you wouldn't get it. See? And they weren't being demeaning. They were being factual because they understood that they were the ones who didn't belong. They were foreigners in exile in Babylon. Here's the last thing I want us to see, okay? So last thing I want us to see, I want you to know that, that this, is, this is not like the main point of the story, but it's a clear aspect of it. And I think it's important for us, okay? And I want you to see this, that those three guys, they stood alone together. They stood alone together, right? It's very fascinating that the three of them did this. The three of them were thrown into the fiery furnace. God joined them in there and the three of them walked out. It's very fascinating that they were not all by themselves, but they were all alone, all together. Jesus says something really, really interesting in Matthew chapter 18. He says this, for where two or three are gathered together as my followers, I am there among them. It's fascinating. 
To the individual Christ follower, God would look and say, I am with you. When you're all by yourself and you're lonely and you're isolated and you're desperate and you're frustrated or you're tempted, Jesus would say, I am with you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I am with you always. Don't worry, I am with you. He says, when two or three are gathered together, I'm among you. It's a, it's a very different idea. I am with you. I'm the fourth one. And when there's three of you, there's actually four of you because I'm among you. And my power, and my courage, and my faith, and my presence are very different when my people are together. See, I am among you then. God showed up with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a powerful, powerful way. And he showed up in a different way than he does sometimes when we're all out there by ourselves. Guys, sometimes I fear that we suffer from what I call fatal individualism. I think I'm going to take on Babylon. I think the, the, the sin that wages against my soul, I will resist that sin by myself. I think that I can, he, I have a direct line to God and he talks to me in ways that he doesn't talk to anybody else. We have a fatal individualism and Jesus would say, that's not how I set this up. I gave you the church for a reason. I gave you each other for a reason. And when you are together, you can stand alone. Those three boys, I don't know what it was, the Bible doesn't say, but it's pretty obvious that they said, if I stand, you stand. Well, I'll do it if you do it. Well, I'm in if you guys are in. And we stand up together and we go down together. And they were in the furnace with God together. Isolation, solitary confinement is a punishment for a reason. (laughs) And spiritually, spiritually, God created us to be together. What, What has sustained Grace Church through all the COVID craziness is not great preaching, it's not great worship, it's life groups and student groups, and you guys calling each other, and checking on each other, and caring for each other, and buzzing in, and texting. It's the unity. And in a Babylon that demands conformity, unity is the call of Christ. And Christ gives us brothers, Sisters, the body, because we will stand alone together. As listen, we're not called to walk through Jerusalem by ourselves, and we're not called to walk through Babylon by ourselves. 
in Jerusalem, as I'm learning the heart and the mind of God, I do that with each other. We do that together. We worship together. We learn the Bible together. We pray together. We push each other. We do that. We walk with God together. And when we show up in Babylon, show up together. Every once in a while you can't. And we'll look at Daniel here pretty soon. He couldn't. He's all on his own. And God was with him. But the boys could. And they knew what they were doing. This was not a shock to them. This was months, maybe years, that they watched this statue go up. And they decided, they did this earlier in Daniel chapter one, where they went on a fast together. They did it together, see. Some of you are heading off to college here in a week or two, or maybe you're there now watching online because most of you didn't get to go this fall. First thing you need to do is find some boys Find the girls, find your team. You're in Babylon, be there together. Go to high school, you're not gonna stand against high school by yourself, no way. But a few people, your workplace, your neighborhood, your family, your friends, you will not stand by, you won't make it. But two or three, God is among you. It's a different deal. If you're a Christ follower, you are the people of God. We're supposed to be in Babylon. Babylon's normal, it's nothing new. It's where we belong. And you are going to stand before a furnace. You're gonna pay for your faith. You're gonna have to make a decision to honor God as opposed to not honor God. You're gonna have to decide who owns your body. You're gonna have to decide who owns your checking account. You're gonna have to decide who owns the direction of your life. You're gonna stand before a furnace, right? And you might even be watching that furnace be built now. You know it's coming. That issue in our culture, that issue in your family, you know it's coming. So you resolve, right? You resolve. These boys didn't know they were, were gonna face this furnace way back in Daniel chapter one. But they knew who they were gonna follow. They knew who was gonna define them and they knew who was gonna direct them. And their resolve, see, plays out in whatever circumstances God delivers them into. Jesus, would you help us? Jesus, we, we don't know the future. We don't know when our tests will come. We don't know what the furnaces are gonna be. But they're there. We know the way Babylon works. God, it's nothing new. But we know how you work too. That's nothing new. And your power and your help and your presence 
you are eternal and we are your people called by your name. And God, I am your son. I am your daughter. I am yours. So Jesus, in this moment, would you press in deeply? Would you confront us, encourage us, change us, and call us, Lord?